Welcome to Cross Communities Podcast. We're glad you're here to listen today. We hope that today's message will strengthen your faith and help you to love God and people more. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and get them however you do that, whether it's in book form or in app form. Go ahead and open those up. We are in the middle of Lent, and this is a 40-day, or technically 46 days, but remember Sundays, we celebrate resurrection life, and so we're only counting the weekdays and the Friday and Saturday of weekends. But in these 40 days, we're allowing Jesus to shape something in us, to chisel some things out, to smooth some things over. Lent is a season we need each year in order to allow Christ to refocus us and realign us with His purposes and who He is, to help us to see Him as He is. And today is one of those messages. But before we jump in, I don't know if you've seen this, but we have maybe a little Rebel Sunday victory to celebrate. Now, if you're brand new with us or you're joining us online for the first time, every year since I've been the pastor... When it comes to that Spring Forward Day, we do what's called Rebel Sunday. And we don't want people to come into church sleepy because they lost an hour of sleep. So we rebel and we say, we're not going to listen. We're going to wait until after the service in order to spring forward. So that we come ready to worship and we're, we're just excited and we're full of energy. And it works out well if somebody forgets they're just here an hour early and they can go to a life group. And at the end of the service... All the restaurants are cleared out because it's one o'clock and, and you can just go and order. You're, there's no lines. It's, it's beautiful all the way around. And we just said we're going to keep doing this until they make a change. Well, have you heard? Oh, we may have one more Rebel Sunday and that's it. I don't know how it's going to work when, you know, sunrise doesn't happen until 1030 in the morning for us. But we won't lose sleep. So it's going to be good. All right, so I'm excited. I just thought we should celebrate that today. We made a difference. Fourteen years we've made a difference. (laughs) I'm being silly. Uh, We're in this series, and week one, we looked at a few things, and we allowed God to ask us the question, are you giving game tips to the goat? If Jesus is the greatest of all time, are we coming to Him with our little agenda, how we think things should really be going? Last week, we looked at, are you listening to the life giver? If Jesus and and what He calls us to is always leading us to life, are we listening to Him? And this week, we're going to jump in in Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. So if you have your Bibles, open them. We're going to hear a very strange story. I just want to tell you that right up front. This is one of those stories where Jesus acts a little different than we anticipate. You know, we're used to the Jesus who welcomes the children. We're used to the Jesus who heals that person, who has compassion, who eats with tax collectors and sinners. And today is Jesus the prophet who has a certain call and it feels a little different. And yet I want to, it's meant, the way he is talking is meant to get your, my, our attention. And so, if you have your Bibles, let's read. And because this is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, would you stand in honor and reverence to the reading of the gospel? Hear the word of the Lord. And that very time, 
There were some present who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He asked them, Do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. Then he told them this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, See here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? He replied, Sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. The word of God for the people of God. And our response is, thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, I believe that it was the end toward the holiday season of my freshman year in college. Yes, that would be around 1990. That a certain movie came out and swept the country that year and many years following. In fact, I'm pretty sure that most of you have seen it. If not, your kids watch it around the holiday time. And that is, of course, Home Alone. Uh, How many of you have seen this movie? Multiple times. Yes. It's a fun movie, full of slapstick humor. It makes me laugh every time I watch it. But one of the characters that doesn't get a lot of credit, even though he's really the hero of the whole movie, is Old Man Marley. Old Man Marley is this guy, and you can kind of see a little bit his face there. He's kind of got those crazy eyes. And throughout most of the movie, you see young Kevin looking out the window. And anytime he sees this guy, he's usually out. He's got a shovel and a bucket of salt. And he's shoveling the driveway. And he he looks over and the music gets really intense. And Kevin begins to make up stories that he's heard about how this guy kills people and preserves them in the salt in the basement. You know, just a kid's imagination running wild. And you see this over and over. And finally, uh, if you don't know the, the premise of the story, I won't spoil it. You know, Kevin gets left home alone. And uh, he has all these adventures, but he is about to face a great trial. And he decides on Christmas Eve to go to church. And who should be there but old man Marley? And he begins to find out that his judgments about old man Marley were all wrong. In fact... Mr. Marley had a granddaughter about Kevin's age, and he was there to see her in the, as she was singing in the church choir for Christmas Eve. He finds out that old man Marley and his children hadn't talked in a while. In a long time, something had happened, and the two of them have a conversation that makes a great deal of difference to Mr. Marley. And Kevin begins to see a new side of him. He realizes that maybe he had jumped into the judge's seat and had made some miscalculations, misjudgments about who Mr. Marley was. So maybe today as we begin, I want to ask you, who's your old man Marley? Who fills that role in your life? We all have them, don't we? I mean... 
Maybe it's the person in front of you in traffic who has the bumper sticker of who they voted for. And all of a sudden, you have all of these thoughts that just come rolling out of your head. I mean, it's almost unintentional. Just what you assume about them, what you think about them, what what your heart says about them. Uh, maybe it's somebody who dresses differently from you. Maybe you see that person walking as you're driving your car or walking in the shopping center and they've got the hat, but it's not facing forward. It's facing off to the side. Maybe their pants are a little too low for your comfort. And all of a sudden, just without even thinking about it, all these things just kind of roll off who you are. Maybe it's the person at the exit ramp of your freeway who's standing there with a sign and you look at them and all of a sudden as you see them already your heart begins to shift and you begin to just have those things pour out of you. Maybe it is someone's skin color that all of a sudden without even thinking about it and maybe without you even being aware of it something begins to shift in you. Or maybe it's a person that said something to you a long time ago and it really did hurt your feelings. And now every time you see them, you base every interaction and everything that you've ever thought on that one time and you let those things just shape and change your heart. Who's your old man, Marley? Where you jump into the judge's seat and all of a sudden it takes you on a wild ride. Who is that for you? As you're thinking about that, let's look at some things that happen when we jump into the seat for the judge. When we jump in that seat, something happens. There are a few things that take place. One that I'm confident of is when we jump in and judge, we judge their makeup. These are all going to start with M. Aren't you glad? We judge their makeup. We all of a sudden judge and assume that we know their history. We know everything about them because of that one little thing. Whatever that old man Marley thing is for you, we think we know their history. And we just jump right in and and we make all these assumptions about who they are and what their history might be like. Even though we may have never met them once in our entire life. But we jump in and we judge their makeup. We also can jump in and all of a sudden, if we're not careful, we'll judge their morals too. We assume that we know what kind of morality they have. We've never had a conversation with them. We've never talked to them. We're just assuming. And we judge the morality of who they are. So not only their makeup, but their morals. But we can go beyond that. We can even jump in and judge their motives. We can just say, oh, I I bet this is what it is. And, And if we're not careful, it just takes us down. And we've jumped into the judge's seat and we're running away. And our minds are going with us. Judge their makeup, their morals, their motives. And then we can jump in the judge's seat and judge their merit. All of a sudden we make a value decision based on something that we have no idea what we're talking about, it, but we've set ourselves in the judge's seat. And now we're making a value judgment on who they are. Wow. What really happens is we jump in and we miss the mark. Which really is what the word sin means. Hamartia. To miss the mark. We jump in. And we make all kinds of assumptions about their makeup, their morals, their motives. 
and their merit. Are you with me? This is tough. This is Lent, right? This is chiseling away, moving some things, getting us back into where Jesus is calling us. And it gets us into the heart of our passage. This is what's happening at the very beginning in those first three verses that we see. There were at that time were present some who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Now what in the world is that all about? It's a strange story. Most scholars come back to a story, a historical narrative that was told to us by Josephus, an ancient historian, about some Galileans who came in. Now, Pilate was not a good guy. I just want you to know that. Even though he kind of washed his hands of Jesus' crucifixion that we'll get to in a few weeks, he was not a kind man. He was not a good man. And so he knew just where to place Roman soldiers, occupying soldiers in order to get under the skin of Jewish worshipers. And that was often to place them around the temple, around the temple mount. And evidently there were some Galileans who had traveled a long way with their sacrifices. Remember, they had to provide a sacrifice once a year that was very special. It was blameless. It wasn't sick. It was spotless. It was ready for that. And you can imagine if you've walked miles and miles and miles to get to the temple, and once you get there, you see the occupying force in your way. And it just got the best of these Galileans. And they began, we don't know exactly what to do, but they caused an uprising. They began maybe to yell at the Romans. They, they jumped into the judge's seat of what they were there for and why they were there. And it got into a battle. And it went the way that people with weapons against people without weapons went. And yes, those Galileans were killed along with their sacrifice that they were holding. And so therefore the story comes down. Their blood was mixed with the sacrifices. And there, as there always are in these tragedies, people trying to line up and take sides and jump into the judge's seat and assume the motives and assume the morals and, and assume the value, place value judgments, the merit on all of these people. And Jesus really quickly turns this and says, instead of taking all this time, instead of judging their makeup, their morals, their motives, and their merits, Jesus wishes that they would all take a look in the mirror. That's what he means by repent. Unless you repent. Unless you allow God to change who you are. Unless you rethink this. Unless you allow the Holy Spirit to change your mind then you will perish just as they did. As long as it's us versus them, we end up in conflict. And Jesus says, let's, let's look in the mirror. This often happens because the sin I judge you for is often the same sin that I justify in myself. Are you with me? It may not be exactly the same, but it's at least a sin. I mean, pride is one of the seven deadlies, right? And to assume that I'm the judge and I know you and I can assign your value leads me to be in need of repentance. And Jesus really quickly flips the tables. 
You want to talk about Pilate. You want to talk about these Galileans. God's interested in you. In you. And He wants to change your mind and move you in His paths. Well, let's, let's move on because there's a second part of the story Jesus then offers in. And what he's talking about is when we jump in, we also judge the meaning of something. And so Jesus moves on and talks about another thing that we have very little understanding about. But obviously those folks back then knew a lot about it. And that's the Tower of Siloam. Siloam was not too far from Jerusalem, kind of what we would call the, the suburbs of Jerusalem of its day. And evidently there was a disaster of some some kind. Some people think, well, was it a... Was it a uh, fortification, a tower of fortification? And again, there was an animosity between the Romans and the Jews, and the Romans knocked the tower down, and, and 18 people were killed? Or was it just one of those natural disasters where somehow they didn't under- realize, but the engineering was off, and there were 18 people in the tower or near the tower, and something gave and it fell? We don't know. But the truth is, We as human beings, when we see something like that, we often try to judge the meaning of it. Oh, they must have not been very good people. Why, why would this happen? You know, this, this shouldn't happen. And sometimes we even rip scriptures out of context and we, and we say, oh, well, something must have been wrong with them or, or God got them or something about that. We assign meaning. We jump in and judge the meaning of natural disasters. We do that. It's our tendency. And even though some of us may not speak it out loud, sometimes we feel in our heart, what is happening here? And Jesus again calls that out and says, when we jump, if we, when we jump in, we prove a couple of things. We prove that we actually misunderstand both the judge and the purpose of his judgments. And Jesus again calls them to rethink, to change their mind, to turn around and move towards God so that God can help them understand who He is, and what His judgments are about. Now, He doesn't want them to miss the point. He doesn't just leave that hanging there, but He does what Jesus always does. He tells a story. And He tells us a story about the fig tree. And we've read that. A man had a fig tree planted in a vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, See here, for three years I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it waste the soil? He replied, Sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, then you can cut it down. What is this story? I mean, this is just a, a strange story. I'm not sure that when, I, I know when I first read it, I wasn't sure I really got it. But this is a story of a metaphor to explain God and to explain God's judgment. This isn't a straight allegory, a one-for-one comparison where God is the angry vineyard owner and Jesus or somebody else is the... This is explaining the tension within God. That God is both the landowner who is frustrated by the, the lack of fruit on a fig tree and the vine dresser, the keeper, who is willing to give more time and work in the soil and work towards health of that vineyard so that it produces. I like to say it this way. 
God wants to see you produce, yet God also knows exactly where you've been planted. God wants to see you produce, and yet God also understands exactly where you have been planted. Now, I want to pause here for just a second, because I did use that word, God wants to see you produce. And that feels a little weird. Can I just say that? I mean, like, oh, is God that, you know, produce, produce, produce. Is God that angry boss who just wants you to work harder and work longer and work more hours and work more efficiently and work and work and work and work? Let's, let's go back into the story, okay? And I want to ask you one question. Is it demanding to want a fig tree to produce figs? When, when you go out to your garden, how many of you plant gardens? Can't wait. Tomato season is coming. I'll finally have a good one. If the squirrels don't get it first. How many of you go out and say, mm, Tomato vine, produce! Come forth, tomato! No. But you go out with hope, don't you? Your, your longing is for that vine to produce. And sometimes you realize that there are different kinds of soil. And sometimes there is soil that is not effective for tomatoes to grow. I had that experience when I lived right over here in the parsonage. There had been nothing planted in that backyard for however long. And the first year I decided I wanted to do a garden, there was a lot of hard work that had to go into getting the soil. I was reading, you know, these new things back then, these blogs on how to, how to get that soil the way you wanted. And I, I'd have to really work to get that spade in the ground. And, and, um, and Keith had to help me because I, I had a flat shovel and I should have been using a spade. Shows you my gardening abilities. But I, I was going to take off that top layer about one spade length down and flip it over and then take an, another tool and I was going to break up the soil another spade length down to break it up because I was told that would let the roots go down deep and that would let the water go down deep and it would grow some good things. And then I realized as I was looking at some of my plants look sick and I realized, oh, there was some other things that needed to go into the soil. And so I went and I, I found the stuff that I needed. I I assume, you know, like Jesus says, it was manure of some sort that was helping those tomatoes to grow. And finally, it was wonderful. I was there and I, I could walk down the row and I could, I could pick tomatoes and I would set them on the ground. And Jackson, who was about 18 months at a time, I didn't realize, was coming along behind me and taking one bite out of each one. <laughs> and he hates tomatoes now. I, I don't know what happened. But God... When God sees us, longs to see you produce, not in a demanding way, but there is something that He wants to see happen in your life that you were created for. And He wants to bring that out. He wants to see that production in your life. But God also knows that there has to be a lot of work and mercy because the soil where you plant, you have been planted may not be conducive for what takes place in your life to see that production that you were born for. 
And yet God is merciful in His judgments. And what we begin to see is there, there is some help that is needed. And I love how the American Standard Version puts it. Let me dig it and dung it. That could go on a bumper sticker, couldn't it? Maybe a t-shirt. Let me dig this up. Let me do the hard work of digging around the roots, of looking at the soil that I know may not be conducive because this thing happened to you or that person abused you or this thing happened in your life or you didn't quite get to where you were hoping to go there and it, it broke you down and you were, you were frustrated. God knows all of those things and God is willing. He wants to see that production in your life, but He's willing to take the time to break up the soil. And sometimes that's hard. And He's willing to throw on the uh, nutrients, <laughs> the manure, that often leads to maturity in our lives. And some of you have been through a lot of nutrients. <laughs> And I I hope today you hear about the God who, yes, longs to see you produce because He created you for that. And it doesn't mean that He is the one who made everything bad happen in your life, but He is willing to give and do the tough and smelly work to help you produce what He has created for you to do and to be. In other words, this is hard work. This is really hard work. And it's hard work in gardens and it's hard work in people. But God is committed to the task. God is committed to see that happen in your life. God's judgment, what Jesus wants us to hear is, God's judgment is more about production than about punishment. God's judgment is more about health, your health, than it is about hell. God's judgment is more about restoration than about retribution. I hope that hits you as good news today. Because when we jump in and we assign the merit, the morals, the meaning, and the makeup of those things, we misunderstand, we prove that we misunderstand who the judge is and what his judgments are all about. His judgments are about restoring health to you and those around you. So what, maybe this is the biggest question, what are you meant to produce? Well, if we go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, and I'm not going to read those passages to you today. When God created people, God said, let us create humankind in our image. In the image of God, God created them. Male and female, God created them. And He sent them forth to take care of all that God had created. And to have dominion over it. It means to rule it in a way that shows how creative God is. To create more. To shape more. To work with the ground so that it produces more. To to invent things that are going to benefit human beings, you and me. And to be His image in our world. If you've read any of the Bible, how'd we do on that one? Did we miss the mark? Yeah, badly. And it should be no surprise that what happens immediately when that is found out, 
somebody jumps into the judge's seat and says, oh, well, it was that woman you gave me. Oh, well, it was that snake tempted me. And we have been jumping into the judge's seat and assigning merits and makeup and morals and meaning ever since. And Jesus' story that we read today, the people are still doing that. And so what does He say? He says, repent. You were meant to show God's image. You were meant to be creative in this world and to steward it and to shepherd it and to bring more life out of it. You were never meant to be the judge. And this might be hard to hear. You weren't even meant to be on the jury. Can I say that? You were meant to be just you. You. Just you. And the person that you have all of those assumptions about, they were meant to be just them. And God wants you and them to know one another. This reminded me of a story in my own life. I like to tell stories about on myself, not about myself. But there was a, another guy when I was in college, and we were on this singing group together. And it, it was a scholarship, so it helped us out. And we went out every weekend to different churches, and we would sing, and we would uh, recruit. You know, hopefully talk to the teenagers about choosing our university. And uh, we would do that every weekend. We would leave from Nashville, Tennessee. We would drive sometimes as far as North Florida, do a church, then hit a Sunday evening church on the way home and get back exhausted, do our schoolwork, get in the van Friday, go down and do that again, come back, be there. And then summertime, it really ramped up. Because we would do all week, we would be at a youth camp, just hanging out with teenagers and doing the camp thing. And then Saturday, we would drive another four or five hours and we would sing again at a Sunday morning service and then a Sunday evening service. And then Monday, we'd do camp again. And then you'd go on and then you'd finish and you see where I'm going. We got to know each other pretty well. And we did a lot of jumping in the judgment seat. With each other. In fact, when, when we finished, when, when our group was done, there was this one guy, and he and I had, you know, we just decided we need to sit on opposite sides of the van. Just being real. Confession here, okay? And 20 years went by. I didn't see him. Oh, I, I saw him on Facebook. We did the polite thing. We were Facebook friends, right? Not following each other, but Facebook friends. And he had a great career going, and I was doing my thing. And all of a sudden, our paths crossed at the retirement of one of our common professors. And I went in, and I saw him across the room. And all of a sudden, I had jumped in the judge's seat. And all the stories and all the things that we had said to each other and done to each other from back 20 years previous were just racing through my head. And all of a sudden, he saw me. And we approached and we shook hands 
And just as it would, the luck would have it, we were sitting near each other and we talked and we remembered the good things and we heard about our families and we began to correspond and, and we began to actually follow each other on Facebook. And then our group began to, you know, chat back and forth and I'll never forget this message conversation where he, not me, approached the subject and he said, I really enjoy our conversations. I do too. I really regret how we left the group 20 years ago. He said, I do too. I said, would you forgive 21-year-old me? And he said, only if you'll forgive 21-year-old me. I said, isn't it good to know that our 21-year-old self doesn't get to determine the rest of our lives? We can get out of the judge's seat. We can repent and move into what God is calling us to. And you benefit from this guy because he's a professor of Old Testament. And whenever I have a question, I'm scratching my head. I can email him and just say, hey, what's this mean? And he lets me know and it blesses you. Because he, he took the risk and I took the risk to jump out of the judge's seat and not be a judge and no longer be even in the jury, but to be just me and he's just him. And it begins to move in a different direction. That's what Jesus is calling us to. Because in order to move into just being you, means that you have to repent, that I have to repent. It's the Greek word, metanoia. It means to change your mind or to turn around, to move in a different direction, to look and see what might need change. And God can do that for you and for me. To move us out of the judge's seat to begin to see in our own lives where God needs to see some production and is willing to help us do the hard work, break up the soil around us and see that fruit begin to grow. I don't know if it's just because we're doing our winter seminar and we're going to have a bunch of folks back talking about what it means to be a part of the Church of the Nazarene here in just a minute, but I began to think about the Church of the Nazarene. You know why we chose the name Nazarene? It's out of Scripture. Because Jesus was from Nazareth. And it wasn't just about that. But it was because one of his soon-to-be followers said, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And so, when we were trying to discover back in the late 1800s who we were going to be, we wanted to be people where anyone could come and be a part of us. Because we're just Nazarenes. We're just salt of the earth. We're just... We're people like country as dirt. Even though we were from Los Angeles. Uh, Don't judge. Come on. Get out of the seat. We said we want to be people who are welcoming to those who have nothing. And that means that we were never meant to be the judge And folks, I want to tell this, I want to proclaim this to the church. We were not meant to be the jury either. And I think today we have forgotten that. We are called to be Jesus' body. 
And He was the one who would go and eat with tax collectors and sinners. He was the one who would welcome children into His presence in a day and age when children were not to be seen nor heard. He was the one who went to the outsiders like a woman at a Samaritan in a well in Samaria. He went and spoke to her and welcomed the entire village towards Him. He is the one who will also look at those who claim to be His body when they're attempting to get a seat on the jury or into the judge's seat, and He will call them to repent. And say, that's not your place. When you jump in there, you show that you misunderstand who the judge is and what His judgments are for. And He calls us to repent. That means Move out of the chair and let the righteous judge, the merciful judge, the only one who can judge, take the seat. So church, as we leave during this Lenten season, as we get ready to go, before we go, I want us to wrestle with the question, are you ready to jump out of Jesus' seat? Because He's the only one who can judge with authority, with mercy, with compassion, with goodness, with calling for repentance, doing the hard work in His judgments to soften up the soil and give you what you need to produce what He's calling you to. Are you ready? Well, maybe today we need some time to repent. So would you bow your heads? Close your eyes. I'm not going to have anybody raise hands or come to an altar today. I, I think this is one that we just need to sit with. If you had someone, when I was asking you who your old man Marley is, if, if you had someone in mind, I want you to bring them front and center in your mind. Now I want you to bring someone else into this picture. I want you to see Jesus walking into the picture, putting one hand on their shoulder and one hand on yours. Can you hear his firm and yet tender response and call to you to say, Repent. Change your mind. Turn. Jump out of the seat. That's my seat. You're meant to be just you. Let them be just them. And if I desire it, I will have your paths cross. And you'll get to know their makeup. You might be surprised to find out their morals but once
one thing I will not let you do is determine their merit. Because I died for them just like I died for you. Stop missing the point and just be a human being. Just be you. And I'm going to work on you. And I'm going to call you out when I need to call you out when you jump in that seat again. And I'm going to do everything I can to break up the soil in your life. Hard work. There might be some manure that needs to happen because you need to mature. If you're following along in this exercise, however you need to, look in Jesus' eyes and say, I'm sorry. I repent. Can you envision yourself getting out of whatever chair you're sitting in? Letting Him take the seat. Folks, that's hard work. And if you're like me, it's going to have to happen a lot more often. But it's good work. It's work that sets us free. It's it's work that transforms a church into His body. It's work that changes a human being into His image. It's good work. I pray that You'll let Him do it. Father, thank You for sending Jesus your image so we could see what you're like thank you for his willingness to yes reach out to those who have been judged and and shipped to the margins and welcoming them in but thank you also that he is willing to come to those of us who claim to be his followers who claim to be people of God thank you that he called us out us and helps us. Help us to get up every day ready to let you help us be us. Who you created us to be. Do the work in us, the hard work of shaping our hearts and moving us to look like you. And here in Cross Community Church shape us and move us. Get us out of the judge's seat, off the jury box down in to where people are. For we pray and ask these things in the name of the image of God, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And everyone said, Amen. Well, you made it through. Good but hard message. Would you stand and receive this blessing before you go? now may you may I may we hear the firm and tender words of Jesus jump out of my seat don't be the judge don't be a jury just be you I pray that this week 
You'll be able to look at some of the tragedy or some of the things that, have, that are difficulties in your life and you'll be able to maybe catch a glimpse that maybe it's God breaking up some hard ground around your life. That maybe some of the struggle is what's going to bring maturity and help you to look like Him. May you have some first encounters with some people you've been judging for a long time this week. And I pray that you'll hear Jesus' voice. I died for them. I died for you. I pray that this good thing would happen in the name of the Father who is for us, in the name of the Son who is with us, and in the name of the Holy Spirit who is in us. One God forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace. Go in His name. Thank you for joining us online. We'll see you next week. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in to Cross Communities Podcast. We hope you will join us next week. We would love to connect with you today for listening to our podcast. Please fill out a connect card on our website at c3naz.net. You can also support the ministries of Cross Community by giving online on our website.